Altos, Gar, Agapasin, Hathaos, Ton Cosmos. For God so loved the world. Today, uh, man, I have the privilege to preach about the love of God to you. And the Lord's led me to a text that many scholars suggest is the gospel in a nutshell. It's a text that you've memorized. Most of you memorized it in the King James Version, even if you're not a King James person, because that's the way that it's normally declared or shared. The reason I, I decided to do something weird today, because I knew it'd catch you off guard. I don't ever read Greek from the pulpit. But this verse is so familiar to you that we miss it. We pass by it. We, we, we miss the, the depth and the intricacies of, of the message of God's love for us. Some pastors have said that if you were to, if you were to lose the whole Bible, if, if, if the book burnings of the past were to succeed and all of the Bible had been lost, except for this one verse, it would be enough. For God loved the world so much in this way that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God's love is beyond our imagination. Its depth cannot be probed by the human mind or the human language. His love is deeper for us than we could ever even imagine. The breadth of his love covers all the world. We'll get into that when we get into this text, but all of the world is covered by the love of God. The majesty of his love is be, beyond the skies. It's beyond the universe. We can't imagine how high his love exalt, is exalted above all other kinds of love. The, the best love that I know that I've seen is the love that, that my wife displays to me. And she does an incredible job of loving me, even when I'm a mess, when I'm not lovable, when I'm not worthy. Her love is, is beautiful and it's, it's, it's pure, except she's still a sinner. Believe it or not, those of you that know my wife, she still has sinned. She's not perfect. And yet a holy God who created all that we see, all of the universe, all of the people, he created it all, all of the beauty, all of the wonder, that holy, magnificent, beautiful God chose to love you and me unconditionally. I want to walk through that verse. Now, I have quoted it from about three different versions already. Uh, in the CSB, the text that I generally preach from, the scripture says in John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I'm going to read a little bit more of the context. And you're going to hear this verse over and over and over today. 
just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Let's walk through this text together. We're gonna to start out with the facts of God's love that you can see illuminated here in John three sixteen. The first thing that I want you to note is that God's love is global, okay? It, it originates first and foremost with God who created it all, who is universal. The source of the love that we're talking about is God himself, for God loved the world. In fact, in the original text that I read earlier, in, as the, the verse begins, the, the, the verse begins with the Greek word hutos, which is generally translated uh, so much or so, for God so loved the world, which has the idea of magnitude, but it can also have the idea of manner. And so our CSB translates that word in this manner. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But for this reason, God loved. In this manner, in this way, God loved. He is the source of that love. If God is the source of that love, how deep is that love? How broad is that love? How magnificent is that love? If the one who created it all is the source, that love is far deeper and far broader than you and I could, could even fathom in our minds. He, he sits above the universe. He, he created not just this earth, this world that we live in and the people on it, he created all of it, all of the stars, all of the heavens, all of the glory, all of the majesty. He created it all. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all beauty. He is the source of it all. And if he is the source of love, how broad and how deep must that love be? God is the source of this love. But this God because he's the source of this love, the scripture says God loved in this way or to this extent. Now, scholars argue over the best way to understand or interpret hutos uh, here, that Greek word. They'll argue that that word can mean that God loved in this way. So this is how God loved, by sending his one and only son. Or they can make the argument that God loved this much. This is how much he loved by sending his son. Ultimately, you could probably be safe having both meanings, understanding this text from both perspectives. It's an adverb that can have the, the idea of extent and of manner. It's different than the English language. A lot of times we have to be super precise, but it may very well be that, that John 3.16 is written as it's written for that very purpose, that we might understand that in this way, God loved. And this is how much he loved, because ultimately the context suggests both. In fact, 
if you want to argue that, that you would say, well, this is how God loved, you can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when Paul says, God demonstrated his love for us. This is how he loved us. He showed us, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the manner in which God loved us. But you don't have to look far. You can go to the second half of this verse and understand how Christ died and see very clearly that God's, that God love, God's love had a deep measure and extent because he loved us by sacrificially giving up his one and only son. So God loved us in this way to this extent. Now, who did God love? You see that also here in the first phrase. And this is where you see how global it truly is. It's not just wide, it's not just deep. The scripture says he loved the world. The cosmos is the Greek word here. Now, the, the, when we use the term world in English, we refer to a lot of different things. It's the same you see in the Greek New Testament. The term world could refer to all of creation, including uh, the entire universe. Oftentimes the term world refers to the creation of the earth, the place where we dwell. Many times, especially in the Gospels, but many times in the New Testament, the term world refers to all people, all who live on this planet, all the people to whom God has created. It could also mean, in fact, uh, when Paul uses the term world, at times he's referring to the lostness of this world as compared to the kingdom of God. He'll speak of the kingdom of this world as opposed to the kingdom of God. And so there's a broad way that the term world could be understood. But in this text, I think the context suggests to us that he's talking about people because it's those people who are not going to perish. It's those people who have to believe. It's those people who, who God seeks to, to provide eternal life for. And so the, the, the extent of God's love is global in that it is, it is offered to all of humanity. For God so loved Every human being, and he so loved the world, he so loved people that he gave. So God's love is global. God loves us. God's love is sacrificial. The second phrase of this verse, the scripture says, and let me give it to you in the order that the, the word order in scripture says, the son the only one he gave. The emphasis that John makes when he writes this verse is on the sacrifice that God gave. The God, God, his son, his one and only, he gave. Now, if you focus in on that, the definition or the idea behind the word he gave, the Greek word there is in the aorist tense, which means it's a definitive action on God's part, but it still carries that ongoing impact. He gave. Remember, it was no accident. The Roman soldiers didn't take the life of Christ. 
the Jewish authorities weren't able to destroy the Son of God. God, the universal creator, the one who made it all, gave sacrificially, gave, surrendered, offered to you a gift, offered to the world a gift of eternal life. It originated with God. He is the giver. See, our hope of eternal life, our hope of salvation could not originate with us. It did not originate with us and it could not originate with us. It originated with the God of the universe who chose, made a decision to give his son, his one and only son. What a precious gift. What a precious, precious offering. God did not offer up the blood of bulls and goats. He didn't offer up another nation, a king. He didn't put Satan on the altar. There's only one sacrifice that would be enough. Hebrews teaches us to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, and that would be the holy one and only Son of God. The one who was born without sin, we celebrate here on, during this Christmas season, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary, who was impregnated by the Spirit of the living God, so that the child that was born into her womb, who became human flesh, while retaining all of his deity throughout his entire life, that one unique, special son was sent to this world as a gift to you and to me and to everyone who has lived in this world. The unique only begotten, pure, holy Son of God. Some of you love to give gifts. In fact, some of you are like me. When you get your loved one a gift, you don't want to wait until Christmas to let them open it. Anybody else guilty out there? Yeah, there's a bunch of you. I knew that. You want to give it to them right away because you love to show that ex your expression of love. To, to whoever it is that, that you want to give that gift to. And, and I think that some of you are probably pretty good gift givers. Some of you have been pretty good gifters to your pastor over the years. But I can't even imagine someone who didn't like me, who didn't do what I asked them to do, who lived a life that was going to lead them to prison or lead them to hell, who ignored all of my warnings, 
whether they were verbal or whether they were, were written, they, they ignored all of the rules, they ignored all the laws, they ignored all of my warnings. And me sacrificing my one and only child that they might have a get out of jail free card. Now that's oversimplifying it, I understand that. But God sacrificed his one and only son. Watch him suffer and die a brutal death. Beaten by a trained Roman executioner and nailed to a cross, stripped naked outside the city, humiliated and put on display. God gave his one and only son What a sacrifice God's love is for us. God's love is also personal. He had a reason for it. There's a henna clause here in the middle of this text. It means that or so that. Generally, it carries the idea of purpose or result. And I think sometimes a henna clause carries both the idea of purpose and result. And that's what you have here. God gave his son so that all who believe. God's love is personal. God's love was offered. God's son was given as a gift. He was offered as a sacrifice for all. The first word after that henna clause, the that, is the word pos, it's the Greek word that is translated here in our text, everyone, I believe, in, uh, I'm just double checking for, because I, I, like I said, I get confused between the way I memorized it and the King James, okay, whoever believes, or everyone believes, or whosoever believes, in the old King James version, that word all throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament is is oftentimes just simply translated all. Here in our text, it's translated everyone, but it's very consistent. The word, it's a three-letter word in Greek, pi alpha sigma. It's a three-letter word in English that's a direct translation, A-L-L, all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all who believe God sent his son as a sacrifice for all. Every single human who has believed. I understand that we have folks in our church even who come from different theological backgrounds and their understanding of the atonement. But my understanding of John 3.16 coincides with the way I see this word used other places in the New Testament Hebrews 2.9 says, but we do not see Jesus, or we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. That's the Greek word pos in Hebrews 2.9, all. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is good. 
and it pleases, our, our second, our first Timothy 2, 3 through 4, this is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone, the word all or pos, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe that God sent his son to die on a cross as a gift for all humanity, every single one. Not all are going to believe. Not all are going to trust. But see, I don't believe God's love, I don't believe that his atonement is limited to only those who were elect or who would eventually believe. I don't believe, because I don't believe God's love is limited. I believe that God loves all and he sent Jesus to die for all. And it breaks the heart of God when we reject his son and spend forever separated from him, even though he gloriously originated and offered this incredible gift. Certainly, I know that I'm not the only one who stands on this, and I'm, but I'm not, that's not the only interpretation that some would have of, of God's offer of salvation. I want to read a, a passage from a, a commentary that's written by Gobert, uh, the New American Standard Commentary. It simply says this. This verse is, in fact, an excellent reflection of the wonderful tension in the Bible that must be maintained in all discussions on salvation. The full perspective is that God is the initiator and the principal actor in salvation, and we should never think that salvation originated with us. God, however, has given humanity a sense of freedom and requires us to make a choice. Accordingly, people are responsible for their believing. It is unproductive theological speculation, therefore, to minimize either the role of God or of humanity in the salvation process. The Bible in John 3.16 recognizes the role of both. And so you have here a qualifier for salvation. The gift was offered to all, but only those who believe are going to receive the gift of eternal life. You see it in the Greek word, pistuon, those who believe. As John uses this word for belief, it's probably best translated or understood as trust. It's the idea that, that we put our faith in something, our faith to the extent that we're willing to put our eternity on the line. We're willing to put our life on the line. We're willing to say, yes, I believe, I trust in this. And you know, I've heard it said, well, that seems like it, it's awful strange. You're trusting in a, in a guy who you can't see and, and you're trusting in a, in a God who, who is somewhere out there. And yet, how many of y'all drove or rode in a car to church this morning? How many of you know the engineer that designed the brakes on that car? And yet you put your trust in somebody, in something, in a mechanical process. You trusted someone who you cannot see, who you do not know, to get you here safely and alive this morning. You trust those who, 
who control the electrical grid. I was talking to somebody this week about it. Man, if somebody wanted to take down our nation, just take down electricity, you would not be able to buy gas. You would not be able to buy groceries. You would not be able to turn on your lights in your house. Many of you would not be able to cook anything because there's no electricity to, to run it. We would not have water, we've learned. What do you mean we wouldn't have water? Water comes from water pressure, but most of us get water through our, our faucets that is pressurized by pumps that run on, guess what? Electricity. So we've put our trust for our whole lives in someone that we can't see, that we don't know. Ultimately, we live life by faith every single day. You live your life by faith. God says, I sent my son for you, and if you would put your faith in him, I'll give you everlasting life. And so, yes, I believe I have put my trust in the God of the universe who sent his son as a display of his love for us. That faith entails at least three ideas. The first one is mental. We have to have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is. We have to believe that there is a God, and we have to believe that there's a God who sent his son. And, and without going through all the evidence of that, there is ample evidence historically that, that Jesus walked on this earth. And there is even just as much evidence, and probably more, that you could say that Jesus rose from the grave. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the one who died and rose from the grave. The resurrection has a, an overwhelming amount of historical fact that so we have to make a choice mentally. We, we have to believe. Second, we have to, it's a volitional choice. We choose Jesus as our Lord. We first have to believe, but belief isn't enough. There's many who believe, there's many historians who believe in Jesus. It, the scripture says the demons believe in Jesus. But simple belief is not enough. We have to make a choice that we're going to follow him as our Lord, that we're going to choose him as our Savior. And so the scripture says here, everyone who believes, who trusts, who makes that choice, and then there's an emotional connection that comes with it, because when you choose to follow Christ, you enter into a relationship with the living God. You commune with him. You, you pray, you seek him, he speaks to you. Jesus made us a promise. I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'll send my spirit and he will be with you and he will be in you. So in Christ, when we believe and put our faith and trust in him, we choose on the, based on the facts. We, we make a choice to follow Christ and Christ alone. And there's a connection, a relationship that comes with that. And, and don't, miss this. The object of belief has to be in the one and only Son of God. He has to be the object of your belief. You hear this argument all the time. Well, there's a lot of religions, and there's, maybe there's a lot of different paths to get to the same God. No, there's not. It's either Jesus or he's a liar. Jesus told his disciples at the end of his life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Here, the scripture says, God gave us a gift, a unique, special, one time only, 
only begotten Son. There's no other sons of God who have been born under different names. There's no other gifts that God has given that, that, that carry some other religious mantra. There's one unique, one and only begotten Son of God, and his name is Jesus. And the God of the universe has offered him as a gift to all the world. And those who believe gain eternal life. And that's the last characteristics of God's love that I want you to see here. His love is eternal. It's everlasting. The last phrase in this verse, it says, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The first thing that comes in the, the order of the Greek text there is, you won't die. You won't perish. See, that's the destination of those who don't believe. It's eternal death. In fact, in the next couple of verses, and that's, that's why I read the context there, there's a harsh reality that says that those who don't believe are already condemned to death. The world, all who are in it, every single human being who's ever walked on the face of this earth is condemned to an eternal death because of our sin. That, that sin has been passed down from generation to generation, and you can argue, and, and you'll see scholars argue about uh, you know, whether, whether we are condemned because of the sin of our fathers and our grandfathers, and, and maybe we are, maybe we aren't. Sin is generational, it seems, and in fact, you even see the same sins being repeated among generations. And yet, God would not have to condemn you or I for the sins of our fathers, our grandfathers, because I've done enough on my own to deserve eternal death. I, there's enough sin in my life. In fact, all it takes is one to disqualify me from stepping into the beautiful, unimpacted, unaffected, glorious, holy throne room of God. You and I could not step into God's heaven with any sin on our account. None whatsoever. And so the hope that we have is that there is someone, somehow, something that has forgiven us and cleansed us of our sin. That one offering was made through Christ Jesus. So the, the fact is Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Christ came into the world to save the world that was already condemned. This entire world, to use a phrase that my mom used to use, is going to hell in a handbasket. And everyone in it because of our sin. And you see it regularly. The impact of sin on this world is destruction and death. God never intended for his creation to suffer and to die. He gave Adam and Eve some very clear instructions. They disobeyed it. And their sin separated them from the holiness of the God who created them and loves them. And every one of us has been impacted by that. And the entire world is condemned to perish at an eternal death. Except or unless 
they believe in the one and only begotten Son of God who's been offered as a gift. And the gospel in a nutshell of John 3.16 makes it very simple. All who believe into him, they will not perish, but they will have eternal life. There's no greater gift that's been offered to anyone in all of history than the gift that God offered through his son, Jesus. And here's the good news for you and I. He's made that offer to you and to me personally. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For God loved the world so much that he gave his son, the one and only, so that you and I don't have to face the condemnation that we deserve, but we can receive eternal life. We can live forgiven, cleansed, purified forever with him. There's all kinds of promises we talked about when we studied 1 Peter. The gifts that God gives us are imperishable. They're undefiled. They're glorious. They're beyond our imagination. They're far more than what we deserve. In fact, I resonate with the old song, one of the old hymns we used to sing at May. Uh, said, I don't need a mansion. Just give me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Just the fact that God would send his son to forgive me and give me life after death is far more than enough. What a display of mercy and grace you see in that gift. But God offers you so much more. He offers you the opportunity to be adopted into his family. You're now his. You're heirs of God. Eternal life does not just consist of getting your ticket punched so that you don't end up in hell. Eternal life is an incredible journey that you begin the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus that never ends. And you get to wallow and experience the love of God. Even when you mess up, you still get to experience the love of God. Just like when I mess up, my wife still loves me. God's love is eternal. It's incredible. It's beyond our imagination. And it's all offered to you and to I in Christ as a gift. If you have not believed, and I don't mean just saying, yeah, I believe there's a Jesus that was born in a manger somewhere because they talk about it at Christmas. If you have not put your trust in that Jesus, I'm going to plead with you 
to not wait. More than likely, my guess would be that if you're sitting here today or you're even listening to this online or in a podcast later on, if you've listened this far the whole, and you don't know Christ the Holy Spirit, you, you, there's a sense of prompting that's going on in your heart right now. You feel something moving, <laughs> urging you. Because, see, God loves you. And he's offering you a gift. Hey, there's no way that you could earn salvation. You can't go get it. Just like a gift, it, 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 it's all up to him. The, the, the ability to offer eternal life, the ability to offer forgiveness of sins rests in one person, that's God. He is sovereign over that gift. But he has made an offer to you. And I believe that you have an option. You can choose it, you can believe, or you can reject not believe. And he goes on to tell us later in John 3, some people choose not to believe because they like the darkness of this world more than the light of life that they find in Christ. You have to make that choice. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you already put your trust in him? If you are, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're in this auditorium, I'm going to be up front. Nathan's going to be up here. Victoria's going to be up here. If there's a, a young lady or somebody who wants to come to her, and she can, she can share the same path, the same good news with you. If you're online, please reach out to us. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you, reach out. Don't let this day pass. I believe that every time that we reject God and we reject that gift that he's offered us, our heart becomes a little bit harder and we become more and more likely to reject it in the end. This is your opportunity to receive that gift that God's offering you through His Son, Jesus. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.